0: Welcome to the Alternative to Rehab podcast with your host, Dave Cooper. So this is the second in the series on the book, I'm a Christian, so why am I still dot, dot, dot. Uh, Again, I want you to add your own word to that title. The subtitle, of course, is The Art of Inner Discipling, which is the main thesis of the book. But today we're going to talk about this stage just after the introduction which says that healing and recovery are two separate things. So I'm first of all going to read from the book and then I'm going to speak to some of the ideas in that section. So let me start with a scripture just to encourage you. It's Ephesians 3.16 that I have got for you and it says, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. That's Ephesians 3.16 and I think can be read and can be understood as speaking about your authentic self. So let's read from the book. People often fail to make a clear distinction between the part God plays and the part they play in their recovery journey. This is one of the main reasons they often find themselves struggling to make progress. Whether you're looking to recover from a serious dependency or addiction or manage your depression, anger or anxiety, you first need to understand that God does the healing and you do the recovering. I want you to think now about your prayer life. When you attend church or when you're praying on your own, do you ask God for something you can do for yourself? Or do you ask for something only he can do? Once you make this simple and powerful distinction, it will become clear what to ask of yourself and what to ask him for in future. You know, for years I saw the same people turning up to the same annual conferences with the same issue, praying for the same thing. We should realise that God is more than able to do what we ask of him. So if it's not happening, it's not because because he hasn't got round to it yet or because he's not able. There is another reason and it has to do with you, not him. It's from this perspective that we can make this powerful distinction. Ask yourself now, am I asking God to do something I should be doing myself? When we grow, it hurts. Making progress is challenging and there is no substitute for growth. Let me explain. Next chapter is called, There is No Substitute for Growth. It starts with a quote from the Bible, Zechariah 4.10, which says, Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. I want to ask you an important question. When Jesus left the disciples, he breathed his spirit on them and sent them out. That's John 20, verse 22. Did you ever ask yourself why he didn't do this on day one? He could have saved himself three years of hard work, three years of frustration, three years of teaching and coping with 12 people who they weren't always the sharpest tools in the box. Check out Matthew 17, 17 for this. So I want you to ask yourself, because he is God, why did he take three years over this? Now I don't know what you came up with, but I believe the real reason is that there is no substitute for growth and development, and this takes time. Again, look at the way God has designed things. Everything from babies to trees start small and grow. Living things develop and mature. God reminds us to honor this in His word, Zechariah 4:10 that we've already read. Even Jesus grew in wisdom. This is in Luke 2, verse 40 and verse 52. Jesus developed his stature. So I'm sure if Jesus did it, I'm sure we've got to do it, right? If you look at any of the miracles that Jesus performed, they were always involving things that we could not do for ourselves. But he often told people to do things that they could do for themselves. Remember John 8, verse 11 where he tells the woman, go now and leave your life of sin. Or John 5.14, where Jesus says to the man, see, you are well. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. So apply this idea now to yourself and remember that you need to grow and that this will take time. As you will see, It did not only take time, but a certain attitude towards ignorance, worldly ambition, greed and evil. You need to develop the same attitude towards the evil nature in you. You need to create some sort of stability to face your issues. So this book uses a biblical approach to understanding and managing yourself. Using a method left to us by Christ himself, we learn how to create inner Harmony. In making the shift away from the world defines us, that's the medical model, to the way the Bible describes us, we can learn to work with the evil nature we all have within us. And this is what I'm calling inner discipling. And there'll be a lot more on this later in the book. But wait, I hear you say. How can we concentrate on the deeper problems and clever things like self-management, when we can't even stop those things we are doing? Well, I understand. This is the first of what is probably many differences between this book and many others on the subject. You may be surprised, if not amazed, to find that we'll not be discussing problems very much. This is because the Bible is clear that behaviour is something that is produced by what happens on the inside. Beliefs. Attitudes and thinking produce feelings and these things produce behaviour. And this produces your brain's reactions through the training that these things bring. Changing behaviour without first changing beliefs and attitudes forces us to continually enter a battle with ourselves that we are likely to lose. So this approach will help you to avoid developing a conflicted self by starting with the inner workings. These differences will create a harmonized self, which will produce better behavior naturally. So, your behavior and the way you react to things is something I want you to notice as changing, not something you demand of yourself from day one. When I run my groups, I tell them that they need never tell us what their problem is. This negates the idea of splitting people into specialist groups. We can all sit together, learn together, and grow together. Next section is called harmony over conflict. So this approach is all about creating a harmonized self, which I believe God is asking us to do in John 17, verse 21. Developing a more biblical view of the human condition you can avoid perpetuating the conflicted self which is made worse by demanding that you must behave differently. So no matter what your problem is the solution is the same. Jesus and his teaching, his word and his example. Once you have him you already have everything you need. You'll learn how to manage yourself better by developing a better relationship between your brain and your mind, or put another way, your flesh and your spirit. The last thing you want to be doing is trying to grow as a Christian whilst you're still fighting with yourself. So try to be patient as you first develop a more biblical understanding of what it is to be a human being. What the Bible teaches us about that and how neuroscience is now catching up with what Jesus taught and how he lived. Once you have this understanding, you'll be able to deal with your problems and issues more effectively. The chances are that what you are seeing as your main problem in life will dissolve completely. You'll also learn how I started to use my mistakes to grow as a person how God showed me a coherent view of my addiction and my recovery, which ultimately became my ministry. This book will offer you the tools I use with clients, charities and church groups every day. I will show you how to use them to overcome your own issues, dependencies and addictions. My hope for you is that you learn how you can use your everyday experiences to grow into the person you are supposed to be. The next section is called, For Growth, Think Relationship. I view all human issues as relationship issues. In this approach, you grow by improving the health of all your relationships. So, a simpler way of understanding this approach is to say that the first relationship you need to improve is the relationship with yourself. Once you have improved and develop a better relationship with yourself, you'll be in a much better position to improve your relationships with everything and everyone else. You will find some things you've been taught will be turned on their heads in this book. Even some things that might seem obvious to you right now. Well, here are a few to get you thinking. And here I have a, um, a small, Uh, framework that shows you the difference between the medical approach and the biblical approach. So the medical approach says, I need fixing, but the biblical approach says, you are God's masterpiece. The medical approach says, I need to stop using, drinking or gambling. The biblical approach says, you need to grow. The medical approach says, you get what you need, not what you want. The biblical approach says, you get what you want, not what you need. The medical approach says, I need to fight as hard as I can. The biblical approach says, you need to stop fighting. The medical approach says, I need to change, be less like me, in other words. The biblical approach says, I need to grow be more like me. So there are a number of, I believe, very interesting things that are covered in that section and I want to go through a few of them and just speak to them a bit more generally. As I said uh, before, when you write a book you try and be as concise as possible, get to the point quickly, Um, but I know that for the rest of my life, as long as I'm alive, I'll be teaching from these points and... uh, expanding them and helping people to understand them. So what's the first one here that we come across? I guess one of the first ones is don't focus on your problems. And again, uh, as you'll see more and more as this book develops, um, we're getting away from the medical model. We're getting away from what the Bible calls man's wisdom. And we're going back and using a biblical view of mankind. And one of the first things that the medical model does is to ask us what the problem is. Um, You know, if you go and see the doctor, the first thing you'll be asked is what seems to be the trouble? What seems to be the problem? Well, that is uh, the approach that the medical model takes, but in any sort of spiritual sense, uh, this brings about a real issue because when we engage with a problem, we sort of become stuck in it. We sort of become stuck with it, and this idea promotes a conflicted self. In other words, what we're what we're fighting here, what we're dealing with, what we're against, what we're opposed to, is not flesh and blood. You can't actually um, see it under a microscope, and so um, the idea of fighting with it in any real sense. Uh, is ridiculous. In the Bible, when it talks about this fighting, it's metaphorical fighting. In other words, we're in opposition to it, which we most certainly are. So if we focus directly on the problem, what we're doing is we are grappling with it. In other words, we're um, sort of hanging on to it. I always see a picture of two men wrestling when I think about this. Because when you see if any picture of two men wrestling, you can get the idea that they are grappling or fighting, of course they are. But you can also see the picture as they are gra- hanging on to each other. And that's what you're doing when you focus on your problem. I always think about Psalm 40 and the first few verses, um, although there are many examples we could turn to. I have this one uh, sort of burned in my heart really. I'm going to read from the NIV here. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. So what does that mean to be lifted out of the mud and mire? Depending on which version you read, you know, it's, it's maya, it's a kind of a spiritual swamp. And I think that we need to be lifted out of it um, and our feet have to be set upon a rock before we can uh, correctly manage ourselves and do things in the right way. As long as we're fighting these problems, then I believe that we are stuck with them and it's, it's like trying to deal with things while we're in, still in the mud and the mire. As long as you're down there, nothing is going to get well sorted. We have to be lifted out. The second thing I want to touch on is this question, rather an important question actually for us, which is, are you ready to take the time to grow? I take some time in the book to say that... Uh, Jesus grew. Uh, that God's designed things to grow, and that we're supposed to grow. The Bible is quite specific about it. And uh, I I read from Zechariah four verse ten that says, "Do not despise the day of small beginnings, for God rejoices to see the work begin." I love that idea that God's rejoicing at our very first step. Of course, the biggest problem we have with this, generally speaking, is that we see messages all over the world now in, in, in today's culture of uh, increased and intensified social media and, and positivity messages. We see all the time that things can be had quickly at the touch of a button, at the press, you know, the switch. It, it, it's this idea that why, why do we have to wait? You know, get credit now, don't, don't save up, get credit now you know, don't, you know, have the thing and pay for it tomorrow. All the time it's the idea that this quick fix and this is so, this is not biblical at all. So the idea that things take time, of course our best example is what the Bible mentions in in the New Testament and all the Gospels that there was this sort of three to three and a half years where Jesus spent time teaching them and this idea that if, it could work or if, if it was the right thing to do, Jesus would have breathed his spirit on them day one and sent them out. It's rather a stark example, isn't it? And we can't really get away from it. It's this idea of how difficult it was to teach them. These disciples that we're going to learn a lot more about in this book, The the idea that they were traumatised because they were... Um, occupied by the Romans and had been for years, and the idea that they were oppressed, which is uh, the religious kind of discipline and, and rigour and oppression really, that the Pharisees were putting on them. And in this position they were so uh, desperate, um, all taking their own uh, path to how to deal with these things. As I say, we'll, we'll, we'll touch on this much more deeply further on in the book but here i'm just mentioning the fact that it's jesus's own example by his living every day that he spent three to three and a half years with them teaching them and even then it took you know right at the end they only got it right at the end and even then they needed this holy spirit to come and guide them in all things the the spirit of truth as it's called So this idea that we need to take time, I want you to understand how big a challenge this is for you. I want you to grasp it fully and not expect yourself to be um, getting on too fast, to actually take the time. And this is part and parcel of the first idea which is don't focus on your problems. In other words, don't expect your problem to be solved day one. In fact, What I say is that your problem is probably teaching you loads of things that you're not picking up on because you hate it so much. If you'll stop hating it and stop fighting it, then you will see what it's actually starting to teach you. You know, the Bible says that you can't heal a wound by pretending it's not there. And that's the first thing we do, isn't it? We try and avoid it, diminish, you know, minimise it, deny it. Um, all the time trying to, you know, put our best foot forward. But in fact, the problem has a great deal to teach you if we approach it from a non-medical perspective. See, the medical perspective is basically saying this is just some awful thing you need to get rid of. And even the church teaches that sometimes. But what I'm saying to you is that this is a thing that if we accept the biblical view of you, Then we're saying it's happening because something's working well, not because it's broken. And if something's working well, then it has something to teach you. There's a reason for it. There's a reason why you're depressed. There's a reason why you're anxious. There's a reason why you're dependent on things. So if we take that different tack and we sit quietly and start to think about these things, start to raise awareness, then we will start to see and use what these issues have to teach us. But we have to do it from a position of uh, godliness, righteousness, from standing on the rock. And from that perspective, we can see what is valuable. So, I ask you again, are you ready to take time to grow? The next thing I want to touch on is about the idea of growth and what it is. I say that growth is about improving relationships. Now relationships are very important.'ve anyone who's been in church for over the last 20 to 30 years will have heard tons of preaching on this idea God wants a relationship with you. He doesn't uh, you know want you in, in this cold state. he wants you in the relationship with him and I say something really quite challenging in this book. I say that the relationship with yourself, comes first. I want you to improve your relationship with everything and everybody, including God. But I say that your relationship with yourself governs everything. We all know that if we had parents that were overbearing or they beat us or abandoned us or, you know, in other, in other ways um, abused us, how much this affects what who we think God is. Well, I agree with that. I think that is right. But it's not the most profound uh, I think if we go even deeper than that, then we can go as far as saying that our relationship with ourself governs our relationship with God. If you hate yourself, how are you going to have a great relationship with God? When God loves you. It doesn't sound right, does it? So I think we should start with our relationship with ourselves, And I think Jesus is talking about this all the time. If you look at his teaching from this perspective, you will hear this in everything he says. So how do we start by improving relationships? Well, the first idea is that this is a non-medical idea. In other words, we're not trying to cure an illness. We're not trying to recover from a disease. We're simply saying that our relationships with things and with people are not as healthy as they could be now when they are improved we will be recovered we will be healthy at whatever word you want to use but we'll also be able to relate to god much better as um, in the psalms the it says that deep cries out to deep then we cry out to god from the right place from the depth within us So this brings me on to the next point, which is harmony over conflict. How many times have we been taught or how many times have we read books that have tell us that we've just got to fight and fight and fight some more and that we have got to, you know, hate ourselves and, and, uh, you know, it's it's such a difficult idea because, generally speaking, if we're um, correctly uh, evaluating this as the brain and the mind, then the brain tends to win. And the problem is that if there are a few individuals who are exceptional and can overpower their brain with their mind, not only are they extremely rare people, but it doesn't help us because they'll probably teach us that that's what we should be doing when most of us can't. Most of us are overpowered by our brain because our brain is desperately trying to protect us, and it does so in a way that we have trained it to do, and it's very very good at learning. So our brain protects us in ways that we don't always like and in ways that are not always healthy. So the big sell here is the idea that I want you to aim towards harmony not conflict. Now I'm not going to go into this in great detail because I do so later in the book and we will cover it but basically I think this is what Jesus is saying in John uh, at 17 verse 21. If you read in there that um, Jesus's prayer for you and me uh, by which he calls us all who will follow he says my greatest prayer for them is that they should be in harmony and the natural way to understand that or the quick way to understand it is that we should be in harmony with each other, that we should get on with each other. And of course this is true, and of course this is a valuable idea. But that's not what he's talking about. If you read what he says immediately after, um, he says that as you, talking to the Father, as you are in me, I shall be in them. So both those words, in, mean that he's talking about inside you inside the person. He's saying this is what unity is, this is what harmony is, because it's the same word, it's the same root, uh, the word unity and the word harmony. Basically he's saying that I want them and all who will follow to be like me. In other words, that I want you to be in me and me to be in them. So this idea that harmony or unity within you is what Jesus is saying is the way forwards he is the way, and this is his way. But the greatest example of all, which we'll go into in much more detail in the book later on, is the example of discipling. And again, I want you to use a scripture such as Matthew 6, 11, where Jesus calls the disciples evil to their face. This is very powerful, isn't it? Because Not because he's calling them evil, because we know that we've all got this evil nature within us, But the fact that he went on for three years to love them, teach them and work with them. Now if all we're supposed to do with evil nature is hate it, fight it and get rid of it, well that's not what he did, is it? We need to use Jesus's example and his example is to love them, teach them, correct them and work with them. Of course he was in opposition to them, which is what the Bible says, at least the older versions, but when we are misled to some degree by teaching that says we have to fight, well, the word really is opposition. Jesus was in opposition to the disciples in the sense that he was in the spirit and they were in the flesh. So he taught them, he corrected them. He didn't stab them or kill them or get rid of them. You know, only in one case did he do that and that was where it was necessary. And it may be necessary in you. You know, the Bible's very clear. If you've got some kind of evil spirit in you that needs to be removed, then go to the elders, have it prayed out of you. But in all other cases, and by my reading, it's, it's 11 to 1, then you should be working with it. And this is one of the big, probably the biggest idea in the book. And it leads us to harmony over conflict. There's another idea here, which is the idea of using mistakes to grow. Now, I won't say much more about this because I already covered it, Um, in the idea of taking time to grow. When we take time and slow down and realise that this is a journey and that if it took the disciples three and a half years, it might take us the same amount of time, then in that slowing down, we realise what mistakes and what our issues have to offer us and to teach us. Jesus didn't come along to the disciples with a whole bunch of rules and commands. He didn't just sit down and say, right, you lot, do this, do that, and do that, and stop doing this. He taught them when they went wrong. He used the mistakes and the missteps to teach them and to correct them. And that's what you need to do with yourself because it's your mistakes that will teach you. We learn through difficulty. And this is so, such a massive principle. And if we avoid it or pretend our difficulty doesn't exist, then we are in effect blocking ourselves off from the biggest opportunity that God offers us. So finally, I'm gonna talk about um, this little graphic here that uh, where I compare the medical approach to the biblical approach. And some of it's quite radical, so I need to speak to a little bit of it. The first one says, I need fixing, that's the medical approach, but the biblical approach says, you are God's masterpiece. This is Ephesians 2 verse 10. Uh, that anyone who's heard me speak uh, will know that because I keep talking about it. The idea that you need fixing, well, you're God's masterpiece. You do need correcting, right? You do need to develop, you do need to mature, and you do need to grow. But this idea that you need fixing is a medical idea. If you get away from it, then you will understand that everything that's happening to you is happening for a reason. Everything that's happening to you is happening so that you can learn from it. You can't get there from the medical approach. You can only get there really from the biblical approach. Now the medical approach says I need to stop. In other words it starts putting behaviour in straight away. I need to stop using, drinking, gambling, being angry, being depressed, being anxious. Whatever it is that your issue is Um, The medical approach says, you know, that's the problem, we need to stop it. But the biblical approach says you need to grow. Now, I think this is the only effective, authentic way of dealing with our issues. We simply outgrow them. The Bible talks about it in terms of overcoming. And I think John 16.33 is a good example of this, where Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble, and tribulation. Now remember, he's talking to the disciples here, who are going to receive the Holy Spirit in the most powerful way, but guess what? They're still gonna have trouble. Why? Because they have that evil nature within them. Not because people are going to come against them. I don't think that's what he means. I think he means you're gonna have trouble because of who, what you have within you. And so, how do, how do we deal with this? We overcome. He, Jesus says, but take heart for I have overcome the world. It's about growing, not about uh, changing your behaviour. Your behaviour will change naturally. You will watch and underst- you, know, you will just simply catch yourself behaving differently when your attitude changes. So let's get away from the behaviour and let's talk about growing. The medical approach says you get what you need, not what you want. Now, how many times have we heard this? Even in church we hear this. Even when people who probably ought to know better, you know, say, you know, they teach this. You get what you need, not what you want. It's a way of pacifying people. It's a way of saying, you know, don't worry that you don't have everything in life because God will provide. Well, that is true, but that's a misreading. What does Jesus say? What does the biblical approach say? Jesus says you get what you want, not what you need. Isn't that surprising? He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. I mean, what do you think he's talking about when he's talking about a broad gate that most people go through? He's talking about pleasure. He's talking about comfort. He's talking about ease. He's talking about what you want. Most people get what they want. That's what you're aiming for. That's what your flesh wants for you. It wants safety, security, comfort and ease. Now, the medical approach says, I need to fight as hard as I can. But the biblical approach says, you need to stop fighting. What does this mean? Well, the Bible says it very, very clearly. The battle is mine, says the Lord. You can find it in the Bible, right? I'm not making this stuff up. You, can't, you need to stop fighting. I know the Bible in the New Testament talks about the battle all the time and in Ephesians 6 it's talking about the full armour of God and all this sort of stuff. Of course it is and the Bible is true, the Bible is correct. What I want you to understand is that those things are metaphors. It's not no one ever got stabbed by the by the sword of truth. Do you understand? Our weapons are not carnal. So when he talks about, uh, the Bible talks about this fight and this battle, it's talking about opposition. It's talking about come against these, uh, this evil nature in you. And how do you do it? You do it by loving it, by correcting it, by working with it. You do it exactly as Jesus did it. Now, one of the most um, challenging ones here uh, is the thing we all feel. Because the the medical approach says, I need to change, be less like me. I want you to understand that's my idea in brackets there, be less like me. When you change, that is like saying, I need to stop being me. I need to be something, you know, I need to be different to myself because I need to change, right? Now, this is a medical idea and it's very much like, you know, taking something like a a tiger and saying, you need to get rid of the stripes, mate. You, You know, you need spots. Right, the tiger can't do that. Right, I don't know if you realize this, but uh, if you if you were to shave off a, a tiger's fur, the stripes are, are, are printed on the skin as well. It cannot change. It it can't get rid of the stripes, and you can't get rid of your sinful nature. You can just be. You can just stop being ruled by it. That's what the Bible means when it talks about. Uh, being born again, when it talks about being free of this, it means no longer being ruled by it. So the idea that you need to change is a frustrating, difficult, and some might say impossible position. And it's the position that the medical model puts you in. It puts you in a, uh, strongly in a position of conflict with yourself. It says you need to be less like you. But what does the Bible say? The Bible says you need to grow in maturity, The Bible says you need to go from milk to meat. In other words, you need to be more like you, not less like you. The Bible says you need to become who you were intended to be, who you are supposed to be, who God made you. The Bible says that God knitted you together, you know, before you were even in the womb, before you were even thought of by your parents, that God made you to be somebody. And that is who you should be, not less like you, but more like you. So again, those are several challenging ideas that uh, are very difficult to grasp in some cases, um, very difficult to understand. But I think if you persevere and if you discuss with yourself, if you meditate, if you read the Word, and if you uh, are willing to understand the biblical view of man rather than the medical view, then I think you will come to these conclusions. For the rest of the book, I'll be arguing some of these cases and I'll be helping you develop a method that follows what Jesus actually did, which I think is our best teacher. So, until next time, bye for now.